Hi, I'm Herb Kressel, editor of Radiology. Welcome to the February 2009 Radiology Podcast. We are calling this feature, Here's What We Think. This is the second issue of the podcast. These podcasts highlight articles of particular interest in the journal and feature discussions among the editors, deputy editors, and authors on their work. It is our hope that these discussions will provide additional insights and contexts on the highlighted work. In this month's podcast, we are fortunate to feature interviews with the authors of three articles appearing in the February 2009 issue. We will discuss new insights into the use of perfusion and diffusion-weighted imaging to monitor the response to chemoembolization therapy in patients with hepatocellular carcinoma. We will also learn about new and emerging concepts of asthma provided by functional imaging of the lungs using hyperpolarized helium. Finally, we will discuss an innovative approach using consensus review of discordant interpretations of double red screening mammograms which improve cancer detection. Hello, I am Alexander Bankier, a deputy editor of radiology responsible for thoracic imaging. With us is Dr. Edward DeLang from the University of Virginia, and we're about to talk his recent article in radiology that deals with the use of hyperpolarized MR imaging in patients with asthma. In this article, Dr. DeLang and colleagues studied 43 patients with helium MR imaging. This MR technique uses hyperpolarized helium to acquire regional information about the lung tissue. The main findings of Dr. DeLang's study indicate that the severity of asthma and the extent of this disease are relatively persistent over time. And Dr. DeLang also found that the regional airflow impediment is independent of disease severity, irrespective of uh, asthma medications. Before we get to the core of the article, I wanted to ask Dr. DeLang about the background of his research. Why is it important to uh, perform research in asthma? What is the general importance of the disease? And how has this disease or our view of this disease changed over the last years? Asthma is a uh, variable disease uh, clinically uh, in symptoms and in lung obstruction as measured by spirometry. And even though we know it's a variable disease, we don't know exactly what happens in the lungs with respect to the ventilation. Uh, so is your technique able to provide information that, is, uh, that we cannot obtain with using other techniques? Yes, it is a technique that shows how the, in this case we use helium gas, but in general how gas or air goes to the various spaces in the lung and we can see focal areas where there's obstruction as areas that don't fill. So it gives us a functional information regionally in the lung. Is this information replacing or complementing the information that we already have with pulmonary function tests? Oh, it's very different. It is, uh, I wouldn't think replacing, but it gives regional information about the function of the lung within the lung rather than having a global measure as is now obtained with spirometry. So our view and our perspective of asthma uh, with the help of your research is a more complete, a more comprehensive one. It's different. We, we get better information what's going on within the lungs. And so we see really where the disease is distributed and where the lung is no behaves normal, at least the function of the lung is normal, 
versus abnormal. We know that asthma is a very variable disease. The definitions of asthma have changed. The, the patient groups that are affected by this disease have changed over time. Where can you anticipate any point where your research would uh, help in, the, in an earlier or improved uh, diagnosis of these patients or potentially help us to guide therapy in these patients? I, I think by doing this type of research we will be able to figure out maybe different types of asthma. It seems like there may be uh, who, are, who may respond differently to various therapies. This possibly could lead to a more stratified way of determining which patient would benefit from this medication or that. Mm -hmm. Is this along the line of phenotyping the disease? With imaging then, right, yes. Okay. You use hyperpolarized helium uh, for your uh, imaging technique. Uh, is this imaging technique ready for prime time? Uh, if not, what will it take to get it ready for prime time? Uh, it certainly at this point is not ready for prime time. It is still investigational. There's in the US and the United States no uh, uh, FDA approval for clinical use. It's all investigational, as I said. Um, and it also requires uh, additional hardware to the MRI scanner to, to scan at the helium frequency, uh, uh, regular MRI scanners scan at the proton, uh, hydrogen frequency. So it would need um, uh, hardware adjustments. Fur further, you need to have polarized gas. The gas is polarized outside of the scanner in a separate machine, and so that is something you need to, be, uh, to, to have available beyond the focus of your article on asthma, in which other lung disorders could imaging with hyperpolarized gases have importance? Yes, the, the technique has been used also in other uh, uh, diseases such as uh, COPD. Uh, cystic fibrosis has also been used in, uh, those are probably the most important diseases that have been investigated with this technique. So yes, there's certainly no limitation where you should do, just do it in asthma. It could be used for any lung disease. Thank you very much. All right. All right. One of the challenges we face in determining response to therapy in patients receiving newer antineoplastic therapies is the fact that size change, which we've traditionally used, may not be effective. In a multi-time point observational study, Kamal and colleagues at Johns Hopkins University studied 24 patients undergoing transarterial chemoembolization for unresectable hepatocellular carcinoma. In addition to contrast-enhanced MRI, patients were studied with diffusion MRI. These exams were done prior to the beginning of therapy and then 24 hours, one day, one week, two weeks, three weeks, and four weeks after therapy. The investigators noted no significant change in lesion size over the study period, but they did note an almost immediate reduction in tumor enhancement, which was most consistent and showed the greatest reduction in the period of one to three weeks after the onset of therapy. Interestingly, changes in ADC values, namely increases in ADC, were most significant at one to two weeks and were no longer significant at four weeks. This is, to my understanding, one of the first studies showing this differential response in terms of the contrast enhancement and the diffusion changes. 
In the accompanying editorial, Dr. Anwar Padani notes that apoptosis and liquefactive necrosis might explain the diffusion changes due to initial swelling and removal of dead and dying cells, which subsequently would then return to baseline with the accompanying water changes. I'm delighted to have uh, Dr. Ehab uh, Kamel with us. Dr. Kamel is Associate Professor of Radiology and Interim Director of MRI at Johns Hopkins uh, University. Thank you for joining us. I was very, very intrigued with your study. We did note that there was a good deal of variability between patients, both in terms of the diffusion changes and in the perfusion response. Do you have any thoughts as to what was causing the variability? Sure. Well, first, uh, thank you for the introduction. Uh, part of the variability is most likely due to uh, the fact that we don't, did not stressify by responders and non-responders. We included all patients to see the serial changes, but as we stratified by responders and non-responders, we started to see trends that there's rest variability in the data. Oh, so. how interesting. Which brings me to my second question. Do you have any information on the differences in patient outcomes as it relates to the different appearance of reduction and enhancement and changes in diffusion and ADC value? Sure. Responders who demonstrated decrease in enhancement and increase in ADC at the specified time intervals on continued follow-up beyond the study, and we have extended follow-up up to two years um, it's unpublished data, but they demonstrated improved survival compared to non-responders. So oh, there's definitely improved survival in responders compared to non-responders. Fascinating. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure our readers will find this paper, as I did, exceedingly interesting. Thank Delighted you. to be here. Thank you. Hi, this is Debbie Levine. I'm a senior deputy editor for radiology, and I'm here today with Michelle McNicholas, who's a consultant radiologist at the Modern University Hospital in Dublin, Ireland. Michelle is the senior author of a manuscript being published this month in radiology, and Colette Shaw is the first author of the article. This article was designed to assess the impact of consensus review of discordant cases in double reader mammography. In the Irish National Breast Screening Program, they performed double readings of mammograms and had a consensus panel when there were discordant cases. They looked at over 128,000 women with initial breast cancer screens, and 1% of those were discordant. 45% uh, of the cases reviewed were recalled for further assessment for an overall recall rate of 4.4%. The consensus review identified 7.3% of all cancers with a low recall rate and a low false negative rate. So Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Debbie. Can you tell me, is this the way mammography is currently being practiced in Ireland with double reads? Well, within the national screening program, all screening mammograms are double read. Outside of the national screening program, in individual hospitals and in symptomatic units, the practice would generally be for single reader. And by terms in the United States, you had a pretty low recall rate, 4.4%. What do you think the relationship is between the effectiveness of consensus review and the recall rate? 4% would be lower than recall rates with most of the U.S. screening programs, but it's uh, on the high side uh, in, in European terms. However, I think that consensus review is particularly useful in situations where there is a high recall rate, such as in the US. 
it gives the radiologists an opportunity to review cases perhaps with some more experienced radiologists in attendance and therefore lower the number of women that are being recalled to assessment. And do you think that CAD would work as well as a second human reader? I don't think CAD will ever be as good as a second experienced radiologist. CAD has its uses, but it tends to overcall and is not that specific. Furthermore, it's not as good at comparing the current study with a previous mammogram, particularly if that's an analog mammogram. So I don't think CAD can ever actually replace a second radiologist. Well, thank you so much for coming in today, Michelle. It's been a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks for joining us. As always, we welcome your thoughts and comments, and we encourage you to register and use the RSNA forums to give us feedback and tell us what you think about the articles that you're reading in the journal.